just you and me. Welcome to the Samalnikan Life. I'm Poppy. And I'm Beata. And this is the podcast that nobody asked for, but everybody needs. As always, before beginning the episode, we would like to acknowledge that this podcast is written and recorded on unceded and unsurrendered Algonquin territory. To support the local Indigenous community, please consider donating to organizations who are providing essential care. Examples are the Ottawa Native Friendship Center, Wabano, and Minwashan Lodge. And since a lot of people have been thinking about police abolition recently, I think it's also maybe a good thing to point out that the Ottawa Native Friendship Centre does offer like support for people who have to go to the criminal court but also traditional um, indigenous like community oriented justice programs Um, so I would definitely if you've been looking at funding some community justice programs that don't require police intervention I would definitely recommend donating to the Ottawa Native Friendship Centre because what they're doing is cool yeah, that's awesome. Um, so we're going to start off with Poppy. What are you drinking? Oh, man, I'm going to crack it into the mic again. Oh, that was good. Okay, um, I'm drinking Beyond the Pale Pink Fuzz. It's one of my favorite beers. Ooh. It's just good. It's got good. like... Oh, my God, I just spilled it on my laptop. Um... <laughs> okay, what are you drinking? Um, I am once again drinking Barriad, because as I said in the last episode, that's really all the beer that's at my house. It's pretty good. I love that for you. Okay, and then I'm introducing a new thing, which is we're going to take a brief moment, because I think everybody right now is reading a lot and listening to things a lot. So we're going to briefly touch on what we've learned recently, because I feel like that's a good thing to, to do. So Beata, what have you learned recently? Um... I've learned a lot, and a lot of it has been kind of expanding on what I like knew a little bit about, but not that much. Um, I watched the documentary 13th recently and learned a lot about um, the history of the prison system in the States. Um, it's a really, really good documentary. Like I know everyone's recommending it right now, but you really do have to see it. And I've learned a lot about defunding and um, abolishing the police, which is like a thing that I kept hearing about in activist circles, like a thing that people would say, and I was like, yeah, mm. cool, sounds like a good long-term plan, don't think we can do it, but, like, so I support this, and it's only recently that I've started to, like, understand exactly what that means, and that it's not as radical an idea as I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's been interesting. I've also, uh, I did a bit of research for a Five Thoughts piece on Silver 7, where I kind of talked about, like, race in hockey, and learned a lot about the history of black players in the NHL. I learned that um, the first players to use the slap shot and the butterfly goalie style were both in the, I believe it was called the Colored Hockey League, which was a league of black players. They invented the slap shot? Yeah. That's fucking cool. I did not know that that's from I know, the right? I didn't know this either. It's really cool. Um, anyways, there's a bunch of, like, fun facts. I have a bunch of links in my Five Thoughts piece that I might, like, tweet out again. Um, yeah. Yeah, we should add that piece to the show notes as well, just in case. Yeah, That sounds really sure. good. Okay. I learned... First of all, I learned that you can listen to a lot of Angela Davies... Angela Davis's speeches and... Yeah interviews on spotify which i didn't know Mm -hmm. um so 
I recently I've started listening to her a lot. She's got a very like I feel like we're all reading a lot and I feel like it can be really hard to read a lot all the time. I like the aspect mm-hmm. of being able to listen to things. That's why I listen to a lot of podcasts as well. So I've been listening to a lot of Angela Davis interviews and um speeches that she's held like either while I'm on my walk or doing the dishes or whatever. That's which nice. has been really nice. So yeah, I've been that was cool. I learned so I used to volunteer with an organization that was like it was like a pen pal thing for um LGBTQ prisoners. So that organization was an abolitionist organization at its core, like one of its core values was prison abolition. And so I knew some stuff about prison abolition, but despite the fact that I'm supposed to be a big brains university graduate, I'd never truly like considered a complete like police and prison abolition system like that being connected, which makes no sense. In retrospect, right? like I, cle- yeah. I clearly was just skimming this up. But no, that that's what it was like for me too. So that was really cool. Um, like you, I've been learning a lot about police abolition and that it's actually like a thing, and that police mm-hmm. didn't always exist, and there are alternate forms of justice. I've been kind of trying to find out about different like collaborative justice programs around the city and stuff because mm-hmm. I find that interesting. So that's cool. I Because of listening to a lot of Angela Davis stuff, I'm learning about how, in some cases, the police kind of manufacture crime. And I feel very much like this is a good point where I'm like, oh, I actually don't know a lot of stuff. Like, I feel like yeah. you spend so much time reading in university and you're like, wow, my brain is full of all this stuff. And now that I've graduated, mm-hmm. I'm like, actually... I'm more aware of how little I know. (laughs) Well, I feel like school makes you aware of how little you know because you learn so much all the time Mm. that, you know, I I feel like after every, every time I have like a really, really good class where I really feel like I learned a lot, I leave that being almost afraid, being like, wow, I really didn't know any of this stuff before. Now I can't believe that I didn't know that. And like, think of all the classes offered at this university that are, you know, offering life-changing information that I won't get the chance to learn, right? Yeah, and I think the internet is really great for that because it is really making information so much more accessible. Mm -hmm. And, like, a lot of what I've been reading and listening to and stuff is is open source. So that's really cool. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's just a constant learning curve, but... Oh, and then I'm learning about, like, terminology. I admit that up until recently I did not know that when you write like white people or black people or black community you or white com I guess you don't really say white community but you know what I mean like you mm-hmm. capitalize the letters uh like yeah, you capitalize the B in black recently yeah. I didn't know that before but it in retrospect makes perfect sense because I took a lot of indigenous studies class and you mm-hmm. always capitalize the I in indigenous so mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it makes perfect sense the same way that you would capitalize the first letter in, like, someone's nationality or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something. And then, of course, the terminology around using the term enslaved instead of slave. Yes. Um, I've been guilty of, of using the wrong terminology as well when talking about my problematic ancestors and stuff. Uh, yeah, totally. And, and have, like, uh, <laughs> yeah like to use the term enslaver instead of master mm-hmm. um yeah i think that's interesting and then like we had some interesting like 
I don't know, conversations recently just among friends and stuff that mm-hmm. have been quite eye-opening. I think that all of it is, like, I think it's a good opportunity for all of us to just admit that we don't know shit. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And kind of, um, you know, build on that. And I think that's been good mm-hmm. because I think that a lot of us, especially as young people and especially as young left-leaning people, sometimes we need to be, like, humbled a little bit. Um, for sure. So this has been a... For us, at least. Good, humbling experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. So after speaking about how, like, this has been a humbling experience, I'm now going to continue with my podcast where I spout my opinions. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, I mean... We're going to talk a little bit about the sends right now. Um, yeah. And specifically how they responded to what's happening around the world, because holy shit, it wasn't good. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I want to pull up the statement. I have it right here. I, oh my I God. pulled it up for this. So the Ottawa Senators were one of the last teams to release a statement regarding the you know, Black Lives Matter and everything that's happening in the States. I think they were the second last after the, before the Rangers. I might um, be mistaken about that. What the statement said was... The Ottawa Senators Hockey Club strongly believes that racism and violence have no place in a civilized society, and we're going to talk about that more. (laughs) They continue. As a professional sports organization and a major philanthropic force in the Ottawa Gatineau community, we have a responsibility to champion the causes of inclusion and respect on and off the ice. We support efforts to create a respectful society of equal justice. So that was garbage. Mm-hmm. And first, the first thing that, like, jumped out to me, and I know that jumped out to Poppy as well, because we both said this, like, at the same time, is yeah. the use of the term civilized society, which, for anyone who maybe isn't aware of the problem with the word civilized, this is a super, super colonial term that has historically been used to differentiate white, well, mostly white cultures from from non-white cultures so colonialism was a big part of it was the quote-unquote civilized societies trying to go and civilize again in quotes the less civilized non-white people um and so first of all like yeah like they it's literally a racist term that they put in their anti-racism statement and also, I'm pretty sure civilized society invented racism, so I don't know what you're trying to say. <laughs> racism has no place in a civilized society. Um, yeah, I think that people... Okay, so I think that it's important at first to look at the terminology, and obviously, instinctively, we just think, oh, civilized comes from the term civilization, which is in itself yeah. not necessarily like the most loaded term. As Beata, like, said, it's the history of using the term civilized versus, like, savage or uncivilized, which was used as a derogatory term and also as a reason why, like, as an excuse to invade countries and as an excuse Mm -hmm. to oppress people because Mm -hmm. you were making people less than. And so I'm, like, really... (laughs) I think the thing that really, like, gets me with this is that I mean, for both of us, with, like, a recent university degree mm-hmm. of any kind, you would see the term civilized society and immediately be like, yikes, 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 like, we don't use that. Like, yeah, that's drilled yeah, exactly. into you. Not just in university, but I think in, like, school in general, you get mm-hmm. the, like, 
that's not something you would do. And so to me personally, this statement feels very much like it's not written by an actual like uh, communications person. <laughs> no, and like what gets me is that I can understand like maybe in like high school I might have just written civilized society without thinking, right? You know, like mm. you you just have these phrases that you you don't even really think about before you write them. So I might have written something like that. But even in high school, I probably would have looked at that and gone, I can just say have no place in our society, right? Or in society. You don't need to add in a civilized society, right? Like, yeah. what, what does and that also, mean? And I just, I feel like anyone could have caught that, right? Also, the implication that racism has a space in any kind of society is... Mm-hmm. Mm. And again, I don't even think they meant it that way. I think it was literally just like they wrote that and just didn't edit it. Like, didn't think any further because they didn't even think. I, well, that's I don't, what I'm I don't think they thought critically about saying civilized society. I think that a lot of people are putting out statements right now, and I know how difficult it is to write a statement. And I think that specifically because of that, most people are being more critical. And I also think that a person who works as a professional, like as as a communications coordinator or anybody who works in communications would look at this and be like, maybe we shouldn't do this. Like, maybe this isn't a great, you know, like, I know they're trying to keep it vague, but they're not doing a a good job. Mm -hmm. And also the fact they say like racism and violence and then they're like, a, a respectful society of equal justice it kind of seems like the violence mm-hmm. on both sides type thing mm-hmm. like they didn't say black lives matter they didn't say specifically police violence i don't know no, i don't know eugene has big cop loving energy so i mean not yeah. to accuse anybody of having cop loving energy but mm. uh eugene, <laughs> eugene kind of does I definitely think that, I mean, also, like, we're talking about a uh, hockey organization that, I mean, the NHL in general does this, but, like, they have a whole thing about honoring people who, like, protect and serve and, like, honoring the military and stuff like that, and I don't want to, like, even start with what I think about honoring the military. Mm. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so my point is, I don't think we should be, like, I don't think we should have to stand up and clap because somebody went to Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's a really fucked up part of NHL culture. I don't think that that's okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there is any, like, like literally, like, they're like, ooh, like, this person went and, like, fought a war that was mostly about oil. Please, like, let's honor this person. Mm-hmm. I just... I don't... I don't like that. <laughs> Um, no, it's... Yeah, I don't like it at all. And I think that the NHL is going to continue to try and play it both ways. Like, the NHL is still very much going to mm-hmm. try and be like, ooh, respect the troops. But the thing is, everybody thinks that, like, respect the troops is like, oh, respect the people who fought in World War Two. Please name a world mm-hmm. war since World War Two that has, like, actually been liberating to anyone. No. No, I'm it not. hasn't been. I mean, I don't want to, like... Oh god, I feel like I'm digging myself into a hole. I don't want to say that no, 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 every single <laughs> I don't want to say that every single person regardless of where they are who has fought in some kind of military capacity is necessarily an unethical person, and I also know a lot of people are forced into it, and I also know that sometimes 
people resort to military force to liberate themselves. And I don't think that's bad. I think violence from like a population uprising and taking away the like, because the state like owns the right to violence basically, right? I think that taking mm -hmm. that right away from the state when it's oppressing its people is completely fair and completely justified. And that counts yeah. for any kind, that counts for like protests that become violent, that counts for, you know, like physical altercations to protect other people. And that counts for, you know, if your government is being violent and oppressive, militarizing yourself and having like militant justice groups. I'm not going to say that that's unethical. But I'm talking about like the Canadian and the US troops. I just yeah. I yeah, just definitely. It's it's not something no, where I, I'm I don't like, think that they deserve to be honored right now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I don't This is going to be like a hot take on a pop hockey podcast. I'm like <laughs> about to get canceled. <laughs> but <laughs> You know, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're so much more worried about getting cancelled than I am. <laughs> no, like, I mean, I'm not worried about it. I'm worried that people are going to misunderstand me and think that, much mm -hmm. like the Ottawa Senators probably, I'm like, all forms of violence are bad. Right. Not all right, forms of violence are bad. Um, and I don't want to say that. And I don't want to say that, like, militant activist groups, for example, are necessarily bad. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that... The fact that we have a culture in which every single hockey game, like literally every single hockey game, they pull up someone and they're like, this person went to Iraq mm -hmm. <laughs> and you have to like clap. Um, yeah, that's deeply fucked up. And that also like, I believe kind of is a symptom of this overall culture of like, not valuing life that is deemed as quote-unquote other as much as we value the lives of like people who are white citizens of your yeah, own country definitely. okay i feel like i wrapped it up yeah. in a way that like actually like makes that's, sense that's great no i love that <laughs> um yeah anyways rights after the sends released their statement um mm -hmm. craig medaglia tweeted hashtag black lives matter which i'm not gonna put words in his mouth but that was convenient timing and then soon after that he um announced that he was leaving the senator's organization and again didn't give any specific reasons for it um and you know i'm not gonna I, i'm not gonna put words in craig's mouth here he might be mm. listening to this so hi craig if you're listening hi, um but yeah, Craig Medaglia, for anyone who is not aware, he has had he has been awarded Big Rig Energy at least once, probably more than that. Um, and he runs the Senator's social media accounts, and he's pretty great, and we love him. And yeah. It's pretty significant that he left the organization. I think it feels... Okay, I want to go quickly. I want to say one thing first. I think the fact that members of the staff at the Ottawa Senators tweeted Black Lives Matter, but the official account did not, is an indication that somebody stopped them from doing that from the, like, the official account. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, like, again, again with that statement, where it reads like something that you would write without really giving any thought to it, and then it's it seems like it's just completely unedited and, like, nobody who knows anything looked over it. And yet, like, 
I don't know. We know Craig. I don't think he would have wanted them to say that. Um, and, you know, somebody had to translate that to French. Unless, well, I don't know. It could have been the same person writing both. Well, it was thoughtless. And the second thing I wanted to say was that um, I think Craig leaving feels so significant to us as a fan base because he engaged with the fan base so much, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think that maybe for people like outside of Twitter, for example, people who don't use Twitter or people who are casual fans, this might not feel like such a momentous thing, but because it was like such a huge part of the experience of especially like quote-unquote hockey Twitter, it feels really weird. It feels like such a big deal. So I'm worried that maybe, I mean, I'm not worried, but I think that, I think that maybe possibly, potentially, our feelings about the social media man leaving <laughs> are a little bit inflated yeah. as opposed to how I would feel about the social media man leaving of like literally any other organization. <laughs> um, that's true. So I think that's like a thing that, you know, we should say for clarity. But I do think that mm-hmm. like, honestly, the Sens, terrible fucking hockey team, great social media presence. I know. Yeah. It has to be said. Yeah, Craig has done an amazing job the entire time that he's been with the organization. Um, And, like, you know, Craig leaving isn't the same as, like, other, you know, figures of the hockey team leaving, right? It's not like players or, um, you know, Lyndon Slewage leaving, because Craig is still around. He's still on Twitter. We still get to be friends with him, but he we do miss out on that amazing Sens content that he provides. I don't know, Craig leaving to me feels exactly like Eric Carlson leaving the team. I'm like, I can still watch him play, <laughs> but it, it won't be on my team anymore. <laughs> I don't know what Craig's going to do next, but even if he like starts tweeting for like a grocery store or something, like I'm going to be supporting that shit. Um, all right. Do you want to talk about the NHL video? Yeah. So... <laughs> This was a major yikes um, that the NHL did. Basically, if you were not aware, um, obviously a bunch of NHL players put out statements about Black Lives Matter, um, and a few of them actually ended up showing to protest, including Tyler Seguin, which was kind of a surprise to a lot of people. I wouldn't have pegged him as like the first person to show up to a protest. And he wasn't, by the way, because JT Brown had already been like on the ground in Minnesota since day one, tweeting about it, potentially, like, mm. putting his career at risk for all that he knew. Um, and then yeah. Sagan... Um, yeah, uh, Sagan showed up, and he... Well, he went to a protest, and he made an Instagram post that was really nice. It was just saying, like, yep, it's been a really nice day of learning and mourning, and it just kind of seemed like he was making an effort to learn. Um, so he did great things, no no shade to him at all. But after that, the NHL put out this, like, was it, like, three minutes long? <laughs> this, like, really long video with, like, pictures of him at the protests, um, pictures of his, like, Instagram picture, and comments from fans being like, wow, what an inspiration, what a great guy. I'm so happy that he's doing this. Thank you, Sege, for doing this, right? Yeah. And it had, like, this inspirational music in the background, and it was so 
tone deaf and so bad. See, I feel like... Okay, here's the thing. Um, I feel like that's totally fine if... Like, I think it's fine for people to be like, okay, well, I want to talk about... I don't know. Or, like, I want to comment on, on Sigan's post and be like, yay, thanks for, like, not being a dick. Yeah. yeah I think that's sure. fine. That's cool. I think that ignoring people like JT Brown or Anthony Duclair... Or P.K. Subban, who donated an insane amount of money. Like, black players who actually have made these experiences and who are stepping up and talking about it and supporting protesters. Like, ignoring them is like, yikes, yikes, yikes. And I also feel bad for the people who commented and were like, hey, thanks for doing this, because I feel like now it looks like... Yeah, and... Not cute. Yeah, there was a conversation about this in the Silver 7 comments um, around that time where people were kind of pointing out that, you know, it's a good thing that Sagan did this and it's good to kind of show white people showing up to protest and it can be inspirational. And, like, all of that is true, but you really do need to be very careful that you're not celebrating white players over black players and Mm -hmm. kind of venerating them for doing I mean perhaps a bit more than the bare minimum but still not doing that much and not doing as much as the black players have been doing like Saigang was not putting his life on the line the way at least not to the same extent that black any black man going to a protest would Mm. be he was not risking his career the way that for all he knew at the time JT Brown might have been and just generally it it plays into this like white savior narrative where um you know this idea that marginalized people need to be well black people specifically need to be like saved by these nice white people who swoop in and give them their rights you know like that's a really problematic narrative to be kind of sharing you know yeah i mean okay here's the thing i want to call us out for a moment as well because we, and I think everybody who is a Sans fan, is very guilty of being like, Barovietsky is so woke yeah, and we love absolutely. him. And talking about that a lot and actually like probably too much. And I was thinking about it recently and I feel like we don't do enough to highlight, for example, Anthony Duclair, who like, I mean, it was kind of unfortunate because last time we recorded, he hadn't really put anything out there or said anything. But, like, who has, like, shown up to protests, who has been very outspoken, who, like, I think also quite bravely is, like, putting themselves out there as not just a black Mm -hmm. player, but as a black player who's not necessarily trying to, like, sort of fade into the background or fit in. Yeah. And I think that's really brave. I mean, I keep bringing this up, but P.K. Subban and J.T. Brown have both been, like, vilified for Mm -hmm. just being... I mean, JT Brown has been more political, but P.K. Subban, literally just for being, like, a black man who enjoys having fun, Mm -hmm. has been, like, really vilified for his quote-unquote attitude. So, um, I think that, I think that as Sans fans, we're also really guilty of doing that. I think part of it is obviously Anthony Duclair's a new player, but that's not an excuse. Yeah, and I think there's also a difference in expectations, right? Where Mm. with a black player standing up for Black Lives Matter, you're kind of like, oh yeah, well of course he would. Whereas with a white player, you expect 
a much you don't expect him to be that supportive of this movement and so when the white players are actually speaking up it feels like a bigger deal because you're like oh I, I really really didn't expect that of this guy mm. but as you said like that shouldn't change that it shouldn't mean that we are celebrating the white players more yeah I think that that's like a big problem I think that's a problem in a lot of social movements it's the same way as like a few years ago with the me too movement if a man was like super woke we were like oh my god he like he also hates rape culture you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. I think that when we were witnessing that as women we could call that out and we saw that like I mean, I think a lot of us also maybe possibly bought into it, but, mm-hmm. you know, like, we had a greater understanding of what was happening. I think right now, as white people, we're not always aware of that, and we might possibly, as I said, do the thing where we're like, oh, Barrow is, like, so cool, we love him so much, but mm-hmm. ignore other players on the team, and specifically ignoring, like, a player on the team who is black. I think that it's... This is a really, like, uncomfortable conversation to have, but it's a conversation we have Mm. to have. And I'd been thinking about it before. I was like, should I say this on the podcast? And then I was like, it's really fucked up of me not to say this. Yeah. Like, I think that it's important for us to be like, yo, I fucked up. I said something stupid. Or, or, like, Mm -hmm. oh, we didn't, like, deep dive into this deep enough. Or, you know, maybe I should have, like... You know what I mean? Like, I feel like... I, I know, yeah. And I think that it's important for us right now to be like, okay, we fuck up. Like, our entire thing Mm -hmm. is calling out hockey culture. We couldn't do that properly without calling out ourselves. And, like, Mm -hmm. the fan base that we're a part of and the fan base that we're a part of that is very left-leaning, like, our little subsection, Mm -hmm. um, we still need to hold ourselves accountable. Definitely. And so... I think that video that the NHL put out is just a bigger symptom of that. And I definitely think it's easy to dunk on that video because it was a stupid video. (laughs) (laughs) It was really dramatic. It was like, oh my God, this guy went to a protest, like went Uh to a protest where he knew he wasn't going to get into too much trouble. You know what I mean? Like he knew that he was going to be fine. And he knew that he was probably going to get a lot of really positive feedback for it. Absolutely. And we saw that video and we were like, this is cringy, eh? I mean, it's not a crime Mm -hmm. to be cringy, right? Like, it's cringy. But it's also kind of tone deaf. But when I kind of thought of that on a a smaller level, like, boiled down to, like, the smaller fandoms, I was like, don't we do that with Borrow? You know what I mean? And And we've definitely done it in other situations as well. I've definitely done it where I... You know, and like you said, it's it's not, like, it, it's with multiple different issues, too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I've definitely done it when I see men speaking up about sexism. I've done it when I see white people speaking up about racism. Like, Yeah, I, I'm, and, yeah same it's with something we need to be aware of. I mean, straight people talking about, like, LGBTQ mm-hmm. issues. Like, you know, we're very fast to be like, oh my god, yay, thank <laughs> you. And I think that it's important, and I think that it should be encouraged for people who hold privileges to educate themselves and to support causes. I mean, literally, our privilege is useless if we're not using it to elevate these conversations. Mm -hmm. But the NHL in itself is already, like, a super tone-deaf organization, is in itself, like, a very racist organization, like, inherently racist and inherently, like, really into the prison industrial complex. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the NHL is very much, like, 
respect the troops, respect the cops, like, mm, kiss their boots. So I think the fact that they chose a white person and were like, oh my god, look at him. Look at him showing up to one protest. And I also, in all fairness, have to say that Seguin probably did not ask for this. No, probably not. And what they did was really fucked up. <laughs> like, I yeah. think somebody in the NHL, in their social media, did a really stupid thing. And did a very, mm-hmm. like, thoughtless thing. Yeah, well, suddenly they made him look bad for, you know, showing up to the protest yeah. and like, posting about it, right? And I think I think he only posted one thing. It wasn't like he was all over social media with his selfies at the protest saying, look at what a great person I am, you know? No, and I think like, it's important. Sure about it. And I think that there's... I th- I think that it's not bad to be like, hey, I showed up to this protest because it shows not just, just to your fan base but also to your fellow players like that you support this cause, that you would be someone who would defend an arg- like someone in an argument or would defend someone from, you know, being in an unsafe situation. You know what I mean? Like, I mm-hmm. think that that's a really good message to send to your organization and your workspace as well to be like, mm-hmm. I support you. But, like... When JT Brown raised his fist during the national anthem, it was like, how dare he? Like, well, yeah, he was, like, threatened for that, wasn't he? Like, um, the coach said that he would bench anyone who kneeled for the anthem. He was pressured into apologizing for it, if I remember correctly. Yeah, like, it's fucking crazy. And I think that's something we're seeing right now as well, is, like, after all of what's happening now... And I think this is kind of, like, a cool symptom of how right now we're really shifting into a new normal in our discourse. Like, people who have never in their lives considered police abolition or even police reform are suddenly like, yo, I love this. Like, I'm down Mm -hmm. with this. People who've never maybe thought about um, race relations and, you know, the, the struggle that Black people in particular go through are now seeing firsthand, like, how much pain and trauma and violence is being endured and it's creating a sort of shift in perception and public perception and in public political alignment and I think that that's really amazing and because of that now suddenly everybody's like oh my god when Kaepernick like kneeled for the anthem that was so great that was so cool everybody who formerly was like oh my god so disrespectful even though he said he was protesting police violence And it is frustrating to kind of see that now, where, like, it's so... Like, obviously, it's so nice to see people finally saying, hey, maybe Kaepernick was right, or players putting out statements that include the terms white privilege, right? Mm. Like, it's nice, but at the same time, you're like, where have you been this whole time? Like, why is it just now that you're understanding this? Yeah. You know, like, why... why weren't you on Kaepernick's side at the beginning? Why didn't you try to, like, understand what he was talking about? Yeah, I think that... And I've had this conversation with a few people recently where people have been, like, they literally didn't know. Like, they literally Mm -hmm. didn't realize how bad it was. And I think that that is true. I think that there's a blind spot. I think that it's really hard for us... Every time something like this happens, maybe on, like, a more, like... Ontario level, like after Abdi Rahman Ab- Abdi was killed mm-hmm. in Ottawa by policemen, um, like 
there was this sudden like realization I think in the city because Canadians like to be like oh we're so nice we don't have a violence Mm -hmm. problem but it was like in broad daylight and filmed so everybody was like oh shit um or like now with um Regis Paquette being murdered or like well Mm -hmm. mysteriously falling out of a window after the police showed up (laughs) or um like someone really really recently was beaten up by a bylaw officer here in Ottawa Mm -hmm. because he was in a park with his child during like social distancing measures and the guy was like I want to write you like you know you're gonna get a fine and he was like why is nobody else getting a fine you know what I mean like that's crazy Mm -hmm. shit and I think maybe a lot of people especially white people especially privileged people just haven't been aware of it and the media doesn't pick this up very often so if you're not Mm -hmm. tuned in specifically to these things you might never really like consider it but that being said I think it's also showing us that we need to listen to people of color and specifically black people and indigenous people so much more yeah, like definitely. Like we should have listened or we should have paid attention when Colin Kaepernick knelt for the anthem. And that was a really mm-hmm. powerful thing he did and like I still think that that was amazing. I thought it was cool at the time. Mm-hmm. I still think it was a really really important and good thing to do and it really got people talking. These things get people talking. JT Brown raising his fist during the anthem like got people talking. We should have been having these conversations so much more. And I think that the NHL should honestly apologize for the way that they treated JT Brown. Oh, absolutely. The NFL should apologize for the way they treated Colin Kaepernick because mm. now they're putting out all these statements being like, oh, we totally support people, but you're not supporting your own players. Yeah, and even I want to extend that a little bit to the um, the hockey media mm-hmm. because I have followed, I follow a lot of women of color, especially who have been trying to have these conversations in the hockey media for a very long time and who have been pushed out and harassed and told that, you know, these conversations do not have a place in hockey, that they shouldn't be talking about this, to now see those same media outlets publishing pieces by white guys being like, racism is a thing, isn't it? Colin Mm -hmm. Kaepernick, who knew, right? Yeah. And I think it's really, really important for media outlets to look at the way that they've treated um, people of color, especially women of color in the past, and make an effort, like, make sure that that doesn't happen again. Make sure that they are continuing to hire people who are going to talk about politics and sports, who are going to talk about race, and just generally... Um, people of color and women of color especially who are going to just write about sports because you need to have a more diverse newsroom and you need to let these people talk about what they want to talk about and actually listen to them. That and also I think that like right now a lot of media outlets seem to be scrambling to find like you know like Mm -hmm. a black freelancer who will write for them. But like you could have found someone months ago. I guarantee that. You could like, have you could have had someone the whole time. A you should have you should have had someone on staff. Like you should have a more diverse staff. You shouldn't have to scramble for this. And B, don't just hire black writers when there's like a spike of talking about mm-hmm. race. Like Yeah. This is like 
and I keep saying this, this is like a kind of weird, kind of uncomfortable, kind of like sometimes feels like maybe you're stepping on like weird ground conversation for us to have mm -hmm. as white people because as I've like said at the beginning, we're constantly like trying to figure this out and we're still making mistakes and still learning. But on the mm -hmm. other hand, if we don't talk about it and especially like, okay, like the silver servants podcasts are all white okay yeah <laughs> and also the silver seven writing staff we don't have a single black person on staff and like it's not all white thankfully mm. <laughs> but like it's mostly white and i think that has two reasons one of them is that sports and sports media creates a hostile environment for people of color and the other is that culturally, we don't allow uh, people of color into sports environments very often. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like sports can be, yeah. especially hockey can be both very inclusive. It can create like a situation where people come together no matter who they are, but it can also create a situation where people are bullied out of liking a sport because they don't fit in. Yeah, and I'd even say like, often when I tell people that I write for a hockey blog, one of the first things they'll ask me is, oh my god, don't you get a lot of hate? Like, I could never do that. That's such yeah. a hostile environment. Like, even people who aren't hockey fans will immediately just be like, oh my god, hockey, not a space for me. Or even sometimes white men will be like, oh, yikes, you must have a hard time in hockey fandom, right? Like, it, yeah. it's well known that this isn't a welcoming space to people who are not white and who are not male. Absolutely. Like, I completely agree with you. It's like a, a running joke among everyone I know that I'm like, my my dirty secret is that I like, like hockey. <laughs> um, because, yeah. and again, like we hold privilege as white women and we hold privilege as cis people where like, we don't like, we have already experienced some like weird shit. I mean, we literally like became friends because we were being cyber bullied. <laughs> <laughs> or like because we can't story. we got into like a really like weird and uncomfortable and bad conversation uh mm -hmm. online and we're like being bullied but we're still white we're still cis and so like if it's so uncomfortable a lot of the time for white cis women i cannot imagine or i can barely imagine what it would be like mm -hmm. for a person of color or a person um uh, or a trans person or a, like you know just like anybody who doesn't really fit the mold yeah. <laughs> a gay a gay sure. man like that's like you know like hockey loves to like dunk on gay men which is really horrific mm -hmm. and we see this all the time we see casual we see microaggressions all the time and i think that that's why like now every social media or every media sorry every media outlet is scrambling to find someone to write for them especially in sports mm -hmm. Because it's like, yeah, you literally are part of a system, and I guess we, by extension, are part of a system where uh, diverse vo voices aren't necessarily supported. Mm -hmm. And that's like, it creates a really fucked up, uneven ground, and it also creates a fucked up, uneven ground where black sports writers are specifically, like, getting a lot of requests, like, every couple of years mm -hmm. when these things come up, and then... Or like when these things come into the mainstream media I'm not gonna say when they come up because they're constantly happening and then they're only being invited to talk about race relations 
nothing else. Yeah. There's no, there's no, a, there's no opportunity to establish yourself as a sports writer in any other way, or as a writer in any other way. Let's mm-hmm. be honest. Like I'm sure that I, or I know that this like, goes beyond just sports, like journalism in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And actually, on that note, um, I'm gonna recommend a cool thing that is happening this Saturday on the 20th um, so probably the day after this podcast comes out hopefully by the Black Girl Hockey Club which is um, a group that is basically working to make hockey a more inclusive space and talking about uh, racial justice in hockey they're doing a an event for Juneteenth for the, the June 19th um, celebrating celebrating well June 19th is the anniversary of Um, the end of slavery in the states and so the black girl hockey club is doing a panel with a bunch of black hockey players and people in hockey media um, just talking about race in hockey and I will tweet out a link and put it in the show notes and stuff but I would highly recommend grabbing a free ticket for that yeah that's amazing black girl hockey club is also just doing like incredible shit yeah follow them like they're amazing they're amazing like (laughs) And also June 20th, if you're in Ottawa, there is a vigil for Abdi Rahman Abdi. It's going to start outside um, the police station on Elgin. It's been, I think, four years now, and we still have the person who killed, the police officer who beat Abdi Rahman Abdi to death in Westboro, in Ottawa, in front of people, in broad daylight, is still getting a check from us like from people in Ottawa paying taxes he's still being paid we still have no justice so if you're in Ottawa and you're able to obviously if you're sick don't go um I would absolutely recommend showing up it's important for us to really put pressure on the city right now I know the mayor's getting a lot of emails and it's really making him mad so (laughs) 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 kind of keep going uh email your MPP um and look up who is on the board that um determines police funding because you can email all of them and all of their emails are online (laughs) just a fun fact also templates are great but if you use just the template it can go through a filter and they'll just filter it right out of their email system so if you Mm -hmm. want to use a template customize it that's my other tip all right okay um (laughs) (laughs) that went on for a while okay okay now (laughs) it's time for the mascot minute (laughs) yeah (laughs) um if you don't like the mascot minute skip ahead one minute until the ad but if you're into that keep listening obviously okay um let's go spot cat couldn't even remember how much time he'd spent in lockdown in bailey's house Months into the pandemic, the two mascots were finally learning to coexist. They had established a routine and even divided up household chores so they never had to argue about them. Bailey was a good roommate. He was tidy and responsible, and he didn't snore like Gritty did. Though Sparty's body ached for his former lover, he had to admit that Bailey was so much easier to live with than Gritty had been. He was about to seek out Bailey when he received a text from a number he'd never wanted to hear from again. Hey, Sparty, read the text from Carlton the Bear. I've got eight other mascots coming to my house to quarantine. Want to be the tenth member of our bubble? Spurticat sighed. Thanks, Carlton, but I'm still in LA, he wrote back. 
grateful for a good excuse to reject an invitation to another of Carlton's legendary ragers. Ten mascots in one house could only mean trouble. Carlton's answering text arrived immediately. Just get your team to send their private jet, Spartacat groaned. Carlton was always rubbing his team's wealth in Sparty's face. My team doesn't have a private jet, he wrote back angrily. Oh right, typed Carlton. I forgot your team is poor. No worries. I'll send the Leafs jet right away. Pick you up in five hours? The next text came in just as Sparty was trying to figure out what to say. Oh, and don't worry, Gritty won't be there. What he did to us was wrong. We don't lie about hookups in Ontario. (laughs) (laughs) I love we don't lie about hookups in Ontario. Not to, like, (laughs) praise my own line. (laughs) It was pretty funny. Also untrue, but, like... I think Poppy originally wrote something about, like, how, oh, what he did to us was wrong. And I just commented, Carlton says, as he organizes an orgy with (laughs) 10 mascots. Okay, but that's honest. I appreciate his honesty. Like, you know, when you're you're inviting 10 mascots to live together, that's like... You know what's going to happen. At least he's being honest about it. He's not going behind (laughs) anyone's back. Gritty was being disrespectful. And I don't like to say this often. Gritty was being disrespectful by not telling Spartacat, like, the boundaries of their relationship. Or the lack Mm -hmm. of boundaries of their relationship. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I'm on Sparty's side here. I'm usually... (laughs) I mean, I'm always Team Sparty, let's be honest. (laughs) Shout out to Sparty. Remember when we met him and he knew who we were? God, I think every day about does Spartacat still listen? Or has <laughs> has a has Spartacat listen? Has the person inside Spartacat listened to our podcast? Or have they that, just like heard about it? I know that the person inside the Spartacat costume is aware of the podcast because I know someone who said who like knows Spartacat and said that they would tell him about it mm. um so i know that he's aware of it and like we we saw how he reacted to meeting us like he very obviously knew exactly I mean, yes. what was happening <laughs> he knows exactly what we say about him or write about him on this podcast but i feel um, like we've gone so many places with spotty and i'm like uh-huh. does the person inside spotty cat know like <laughs> do they know I they're in la right now i don't know it's I love to think about this a lot. Like, I'm not even kidding. It's one of my favorite things. One day. Oh, my God. If you're the person inside Spartacat. Oh, my God. Email us? Thisamelnikinlife at gmail.com. We will not tell a soul if you don't want us to. We just want to know for ourselves. Just be like, hey, I'm the person inside Spartacat, and I, I know what's going on. (laughs) <laughs> and maybe possibly potentially tell us a little bit about like life as a mascot because that's really funny. Oh, for sure. Have I you... mean, are there ten mascot bubbles happening? I mean, I are you friends with other mascots? Like you have to be, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like when you go to other, when you go to play other teams, do you get to meet the other mascots and like hit it off the way we I think they so. do? <laughs> I have so many questions. <laughs> Please email us. You don't have to answer any questions. Just say hi. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We just want to say hi to you. So, the NHL did a thing that they should have done a while ago. 
Yeah. I don't think it was even an NHL thing, though. Was it? Mm. It was just a bunch of players. Really? I thought it was an NHL thing. I'm not sure. Anyways, um, a whole bunch of black players decided to form the Hockey Diversity Alliance. Um, and basically the goal of it was just to eliminate... Well, just... The, the goal of the alliance is to help eliminate uh, racism in hockey in general. It didn't even say, like, in the NHL. It's in hockey. The whole statement looked really cool. Um, I think it was... It was Evander Kane, Joel Ward... Uh, Wayne Simmons, like there were and Akeem Aliu as well. There were a few like current and former NHLers, yeah, all involved in it. I just wanted to jump in real quick. Um, it is operating independently from the NHL, mm-hmm. but the Kim Davis, who's the league's uh, senior vice president of social impact, growth initiatives, and legislative affairs, has said that she really wants to work together, like the NH- her position as the NHL and in the NHL and the Alliance. She yeah. really wants to get them together. It's really good that there's an organization that's kind of within the NHL that's actually talking about this. Like, yeah. That feels like a huge step forward. A few people did point out that, well, one, JT Brown wasn't involved in it, mm. which is a little bit weird, but, like, I don't know the reasons for that. Um... So I'm not going to, like, speculate too much on why he wasn't involved. We're just going to have to see what this alliance ends up doing. And the other thing is that they said that it was about eliminating racism in hockey, but there were no black women involved, Um, even though, like, Blake Bolden and Soraya Tinker have both been very outspoken about racial justice, so they seem like obvious additions and, like, I think I read, I couldn't find it, but I feel like there were rumors somewhere that they were looking, they, they were talking about including them in the alliance. Yeah. So I hope that they do. <laughs> I mean, so right now it's just current and former NHL players. So it's Evander Kane and Akeem Aliyu as co-heads. And then yeah. um, the executive committee is Trevor Daly, Matt Dumba, Wayne Simmons, Chris Stewart, and Joel Ward. And so right now... We're just looking at like people within the NHL, and it kind of has, it it's early days, so it looks like they're still going to be expanding, um, and I hope they do. And also, like, you never know what's going on. It's possible that you know JT Brown was like, I don't want to join this alliance. Like, that's on him. Like, if he decided to that he wants to act differently or like organized differently that's fine people don't have to always agree on the same things right so it's kind of early days but it's I think a really good starting point I think that it's some people who have some pretty good footing within the NHL and I I think the fact that Kim Davis is very positive about it has like I don't know it it shows some promise Mm mm-hmm yeah, definitely. Like, I'm really excited to see what they end up doing. Like, we haven't really seen much from them, but I, yeah, this sounds like a good idea, and I'm just looking forward to it. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's good. I think it's a good, like, start. Um, I would like to see more of this kind of, like, outside of the NHL operating, but involved in the NHL organization, because I think, as we've mm-hmm. seen in many cases, I mean, I think that, obviously... Kim Davis is cool and lit and, like, also is a black woman. So, obviously, Mm -hmm. she's probably, like, very much into this. Um, But I think that when we give 
just the NHL, the role of kind of organizing groups that are supposed to police the NHL, that's not going to work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you need groups that are at least a little bit outside of the NHL. You cannot be policing yourself. That doesn't Mm -hmm. always work. And so I feel like this is a really good idea. I I hope that they manage to build some momentum and have a good collaboration going on. I hope that they manage to expand. It would be really cool if they manage to expand and also have influence within the NWHL, for example. Definitely. Um, I would love for them to, or I would love for an organization at least, to be more involved in like the AHL and the OHL. That would be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, as we heard from LU, like these things start in the minor leagues. They don't definitely just happen in the NHL. So that's really cool. I think it's a really good initiative. I'm excited to see what they come up with. Yeah, and moving on, there was something you wanted to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I feel like we frequently talk about players' individual actions, players' ability to use their voices, and I think I said last week that, or the week before, I don't know, last episode, (laughs) I said last episode (laughs) that sometimes it feels so useless to talk about the morals or, like, the ethics of, like, mostly white 20 year old like millionaires Mm -hmm. and that sometimes it feels like maybe there is no point in talking about like what athletes are doing although again like somebody like Colin Kaepernick or JT Brown have created situations in which conversations were forced and so uh, a really amazing sort of example for athletes organizing and actually like pushing for change is happening at the University of Texas right now So um, the University of Texas has a massive football program and the Longhorns or like the members of the Longhorns team, which is the football team, have recently announced that they had a list of demands, which they posted online. And they said they, until the demands were met, they would no longer meet with recruits, which is obviously like new people to join the team. They would no longer attend fundraising events. They would no longer meet with alumni. So, especially, yeah, so they said, like, they'll still show up for training, they'll still, like, Mm -hmm. they'll play the games, but they're not going to do any of the things that actually bring money to the university. Mm -hmm. And especially in the US, college football is, like, crazy because it brings in so much money, but the players are paid, like, nothing. Yeah, and, like... As, like, a half-American, I've been able to see how, like, completely crazy um, Americans are about their college football. Like, I go to South Carolina and everyone's like, did you see the Clemson game, right? No, like, college football is huge. It draws an insane Mm -hmm. amount of money for the universities and for the colleges. Mm -hmm. But in return, the players, most of the time, get, like their tuition paid but they can barely benefit from their degree because they're like training all the time right so Mm -hmm. the college football program in itself is already (sighs) kind of unethical and especially when we're looking at football if we're looking at Mm -hmm. college football in the u.s you've got a majority of black players and you've got Mm -hmm. a majority or a large amount at least of black players who are in a situation where the the school is making so much money off of them and in, in return they get next to nothing. Um, mm-hmm. 
Anyway, so these students said, okay, we're, no, we're going to train, we'll play, we won't meet recruits, which is one of the big things is that like one of the big pulls for the university and for investors into the university sports program is that they constantly recruit like star athletes. Mm-hmm. So the football team was like, we're not meeting with recruits. We're not meeting alumni. We're not going to fundraising events. And their list of demands was really good because the University of Texas is steeped in um, Confederate history and like romanticizes that they could. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of demands that they could make. So the demands are as follows. (laughs) So A, they wanted buildings to be renamed, which makes sense, including like a fountain that was named after, I think, Littlefield. uh, they wanted statues replaced, and they wanted incoming students to have to take a module that would discuss the racist history, not only of Texas, but of the campus in particular. Because right now, there are still buildings named after Confederate like soldiers and um, mm-hmm. generals. There are still statues of Confederate soldiers. And then they also wanted to alter the school's song, which is literally based on a minstrel show song. Um, minstrel shows, for those who don't know, were like basically blackface shows. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was like really racist characterizations of black people, uh, romanticizing um, slavery, romanticizing the South, and these like very racist car- caricature- caricatures. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> God, I can't speak. Um, caricatures of black people singing like songs that were more or less racist usually mostly racist Mm -hmm. anyway so they asked that they don't that the song is replaced and that they don't have to stand for it anymore and then they also asked for an outreach program which is a huge demand for them to make but i think honestly fair when the -hmm. school is making so much money off their labor um including also an program where they would donate a portion of the income of the school to black organizations including like black lives matters chapters and a more diverse hall of fame apparently they don't have a consistent black hall of fame like they just have it okay for like black history month or something which is like really fucked up mm-hmm. and then finally to rename a portion of the stadium after the first black football player at the university of texas which was julius whittier so this is a huge list of demands and i was reading mm-hmm. I was reading an article by Mike Finger and he was like, oh, some of these demands are like kind of out there. And I was like, none of these are really that out there. Like Mm -hmm. asking for your school to rename buildings named after Confederate soldiers is not that big a request. No, it's not. And I think that they can put some really like decent pressure onto them. So. I thought that this was a really good example for players organizing and using the power that they have as athletes and knowing that they draw all this money for their organization to make real change. Yeah, I didn't know about that, but that's that's a really, really good example. I love that. I it like it's extremely cool. I'm very like excited to see where this goes. And Mm -hmm. um I've seen that they've gotten quite a lot of um, support from other student athletes at UT. So I really hope that this, yeah. like, you know, pushes a lot of change at the University of Texas. No person should go to a university that is constantly commemorating people who mm-hmm. wanted them to be enslaved or treated mm-hmm. them as less than. 
You know what I mean? Like that is yeah. deeply fucked up. And I think and I, that yeah. I think that specifically the part of the demands where they were like, "Oh, you need to tell new students your history." is really good i think that was really smart yeah and i will say like a lot of people who know me from twitter are aware that like my dad is from south carolina and like his entire family is from there so i've had like i guess a bit of insight into how that works um like my dad has said to me before that he didn't know that the Civil War had anything to do with slavery or was about slavery um, until he moved out of the South, right? Yeah. And I have seen over the years my friends and, like, people in their community take down their Confederate flags and, like, start to understand that maybe this, you know, celebration of the Civil War isn't what they thought it was, right? Like, that war wasn't what about what they thought it was, and that flag doesn't mean the same thing they think it does. So, I think that, like, I understand that there is a bit of ignorance there, but there's also a lot of room for growth, and I have definitely seen, like, just from my outside perspective, going there, like, once every year or every two years, I, I've definitely seen kind of a shift in opinion there, and I think that it's possible to do that. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. <laughs> no, I think that's... I think that's really reasonable and really good. And I think mm -hmm. that... I mean, I... There's definitely, like, a lack of understanding of these things. And I think that mm -hmm. it's a privilege to be... Um, ignorant. Mm -hmm. Obviously. Like, the fact that so many of us just weren't aware of how terrible the situation was... Yeah. for a long time shows that you know we were privileged and we were ignorant and we were sheltered mm -hmm. um i think that that's why it's such an important and such a good demand to make that people are educated about the actual history of these people and of the mm -hmm. campus and of why you're studying um mm -hmm. i feel like that really changes your perspective because I think a lot of the time people are like, oh my god, you just want people to, like, apologize and feel bad, and that's not it. Yeah. What you want is to create an environment in which people can learn and grow and do better, and we can't have those conversations without somebody taking responsibility. We can't have those conversations when we keep clapping each other on the back and being like, oh, you're doing so amazing. Mm -hmm. um, or like, oh, you didn't know better. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh man, definitely. I just thought about this. Did you see the video of Tony D'Angelo's dad? Yes. Holy <sighs> shit. Okay, if you haven't seen this video, it's been floating around Twitter. I like retweeted it, well, like quote tweeted it at some point. Oh, but basically, oh. so Tony D'Angelo, we talked about him before. He is this Rangers player who has a history of using racial slurs and just saying pretty racist stuff, and has been pretty vocal on Twitter. He also is starting a podcast um, where that's like a not politically correct uh, hockey podcast. I haven't listened to either. Okay, of here's the thing. I don't care. Yeah, I thought about <laughs> listening to it in advance for this episode. I was like, maybe I should listen to it so you don't have to. I just don't want to <laughs> give him attention, you know? <laughs> and I feel like a lot of what they're going to say is probably really boring ass shit. And then yeah, every I, now and again, so they're going to. I heard gonna... a snippet and it was just hockey stuff. And... But they're, like, probably going to throw in some, like, 
not so good stuff in between and yeah i don't i don't think it's productive to give them the downloads mm-hmm. to listen to their podcast exactly for a couple of weeks um, just to get to that but yeah. he notoriously was like um suspended several times for using uh-huh. slurs right yeah basically his dad did a whole video a while ago where he was like well you know you can't blame the kid for using all of these words because i use them around the house every day and like basically his whole angle was like yeah you can't blame tony d'angelo for being raised in a racist environment well he is literally the person who raised him i mean he was like this racist environment yeah he was like i was raised this way so you can't blame me so you also can't blame my son which is like no, that's the whole problem. That's the whole <laughs> like, problem. You understand that your upbringing was problematic and like you have the power to change that. It's really hard. It, okay. It's really hard for some people. And I, and I honestly, it's hard for myself as well sometimes to be like, oh shit, I fucked up. Like what I'm saying is it's really hard sometimes. It can be weird. I'm not going to say hard, but it can be weird sometimes when somebody tells you hey, this thing you've been doing is really fucked up or, like, really wrong or harmful, it can feel bad because I think a lot of the time you're not actively trying to hurt people. Although, when you're using a slur, I think you're actively trying to harm people. Oh, oh, for sure, yeah. But my point is there are, like, you know, sometimes people grow up with words and they don't really draw the conclusions and then somebody's like, hey, that's a not cool thing to say and then they're like, okay, bad. Mm -hmm. Then you have two choices. Either you feel that feeling and you're like okay i'm not gonna do that again from now on or you feel that feeling and you go fuck those people (laughs) Mm -hmm. i'm gonna continue to use slurs yeah and like (sighs) i'm sorry you're not you're not obligated to act the same way as your parents did like that's not an excuse and i have learned that a lot through my family and I'm not trying to like say that my recent you know my close family is like amazing and we're the best people ever like I'm not trying to kind of venerate them for doing the bare minimum but I have extremely problematic family history like look up Briggs versus Elliot it was part of Brown versus Board of Education my family was the Elliot side of that like really really problematic all throughout history and my grandfather had the first desegregated waiting room of any doctor in South Carolina, right? Like, mm. you can change. You you don't have to be as awful as your parents are, you know? Yeah, I uh. totally agree with that. I think that's a really... And I think that's a big thing right now with people like being like, I'm going to disown my family. It's like, well, mm-hmm. you can do that. Sometimes, you know, it's <laughs> like, okay, your family sucks ass and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But... I think that it's important for us to have these, like, critical conversations and, like, you know, not, like, venerate our family, not romanticize Mm -hmm. your past and your family history, and not say, oh, because my parents did it, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Like, I love my parents. My parents did an amazing job. And I think that they were, like, very good and they're honestly, like, pretty, um, they're, like, very, like, liberal slash left-leaning, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm definitely, like, a little bit more like radicalized than my parents and I think that's okay Mm -hmm. I think that that's actually good I think that it's good that I got a starting point and from that starting point decided to 
be like critical and I hope that when I have children my children will be like yo the way you think is backwards and actually Mm -hmm. this is something new and I think that's a really cool thing I think it's really important for generations to kind of inform each other that way as well because it's true the way that we grow up and the environments we grow up in does do shape us and sometimes we just don't think things through Mm -hmm. again that's a privilege but when we recognize that privilege when we're put into a position where people actively tell us off for what you're doing and then you choose to not consider that you choose to not pick the right side in that situation And I think that for some people it may be like a little bit more complicated in some situations or maybe they don't really understand or there's like... I think that for a lot of us, there can be more nuanced situations than that. But when somebody's like, don't use a slur, that's a slur. I feel like at this point you should be like, okay, I'm not going to use that slur and I'm definitely not going to use that slur in front of my kids. And I'm not going to tell my kids that it's okay to use that slur. Mm -hmm. And that's like, I think the biggest thing that we can glean from that is that Tony D'Angelo was brought up in a household where using a slur or doing something harmful is not your fault. It's not your fault. Um, And that he's continued to carry that on. Mm -hmm. And I... God, like, you know how happy it would make me if one day I could put on my little mic, stop my little podcast, and be like, Tony D'Angelo has seen the light. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But the Rangers are fucking enabling them. Like, there's no... the Like, the his team is literally enabling him in being Mm -hmm. a dirtbag. So, I don't know if that's going to happen. I hope it does. I hope that for everyone. I mean, I hope that for, like, society as a whole that we all start seeing, Mm -hmm. you know, like, things a little bit more clearly. But, I don't know, dude. Tony D'Angelo's dad has bad vibes. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. You know what else is bad vibes? <laughs> I think I know. <laughs> what else is it? Has... A certain NHL owner. <laughs> okay, so the Ottawa Senators had a charity called the Ottawa Senators Foundation. <laughs> Don't know if you've heard about them. They uh, have done some major <laughs> fundraising for Chio, for example, among other like Ottawa-based. Uh, yeah, haven't been doing enough apparently, though, according to <laughs> Mr. Eugene Melnick, um, okay. who apparently wanted more control over them. That, and then that like okay, so here's the thing: <laughs> they had a contract, and that contract is terminated like this month, or like runs out this month, and they could have renewed the program with the the contract with the team, and the team was like, I don't know, I don't know if they're using their funds. At least that's what they initially said. They were like, I don't know if they're using their funds very well. The Ottawa Senators Foundation was, from what I've seen, donating about 50% of the income that they were making was going directly to actual, like, charity work, right? Yeah. That's not ideal. Also, but it's not bad. The 50-50 was counted as their income. Mm. Um, or no, 50-50, the, it was counted as expenses, right? Because they give away half of the money to yeah. somebody else. So that that is, like, a, a thing that kind of skews it. Yeah. But yeah, like it wasn't perfect. But it's not like, it could have been better. Bad, especially when you're looking at a charity that has so much like I mean they're obviously like marketing pretty hard. You're gonna mm-hmm. have to pay people for that. And that's the yeah. nature of charities. Any charity I mean, first of all, look up who you're donating to before you donate at any points because you don't mm-hmm. know how much of your money is actually going to these people. Yeah. But it's rich 
of Eugene to be like, not enough money is going to them. Because then somebody was like, hey, remember the organ project? Remember, <laughs> remember Eugene's charity? Because apparently Eugene Melnick's charity, The Organ Project, was a charity that, well, it was a charity that was supposed to raise awareness about organ donation. Raising awareness in itself is, like, kind of shady, because it's like, what does raising awareness mean? Exactly. And I will say, like, I never saw anything about The Organ Project outside of Sens Games, and my mom has friends who work in like that field and had no idea that the organ that the um the organ project existed Mm. the organ donation project i think um but yeah it turns out that charity raised just under a million dollars um while it existed and we don't know how much awareness it raised because no. that can't exactly be quantified. But it didn't but raise that much money. They only donated five thousand dollars. Five thousand out than... of a million. That's zero point five percent. I think. I don't know math. I'm pretty sure yeah. that's zero point five percent. That's zero point five percent. That's less than zero point five percent. Anyways, yeah. So that was kind of embarrassing and since twitter actually decided to embarrass melnick even further by um raising i think four times that much it was around twenty thousand dollars last time i checked for um i think it was the trillium foundation or something yeah an organ donation foundation and i know a bunch of people also signed up to be organ donors um, yeah, for sure. So we also raised awareness on top of donating four times as right? much money as Eugene Melnick did in, like, I think it was 48 hours. We matched that 5000 in about two hours. I, okay, I think that there is something truly shady about charities raising awareness. Sometimes all you can do mm-hmm. is raise awareness, right? Mm-hmm. But most of the time, if you're donating to a charity that is raising awareness... You're just donating for the charity to do more events. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, I don't think that... Yeah. I don't think that that's necessarily good. I would rather donate somewhere where I know my money is being used. Yeah, definitely. But... Or just like, man, the Sens could just have a link on their website to becoming an organ donor. And, like, promote that at games. I mean, and, they like, did... That would cost you nothing. They did do that. They did, like, promote... Being I know, but I mean, like, games. you could do just that, and that would be enough. You didn't even need to have an extra foundation for that, right? Yeah, but, Beata, taxes. <laughs> Tax break. Oh, man, forgot about that. I don't even want to... I feel like... I feel like that might maybe possibly have something to do with it. I don't want oh, to accuse them of that. Do I don't want people do that. <laughs> Doesn't Malnick also technically like have his main residence in Barbados or some shit? Like somewhat. He just likes Barbados, Poppy. Okay, everybody likes Barbados. I get it, <laughs> but it it has the vibe of something that rhymes with tax ishmazen. <laughs> <laughs> You know, just... I don't know. Melnick has proven to be such a nice guy. Such good morals. It's true. Aren't rich people all super nice and clear about their taxes? Yeah, I mean, Eugene just has, like, a generally bad history. Like, bad vibes all around. (laughs) 
pretty bad. <laughs> NHL owners are mostly pretty evil, so, you know. Yeah. Um, anyways, yeah, not only did that happen, but as soon as this article came out in the Ottawa Sun, Melnick just basically started attacking the journalists. And, like, uh... you know, he didn't, he didn't outright threaten legal action, but it was, like, kind of implied and basically just like nitpicking little details that didn't have that much to do with the actual contents of the article and like the accusations that were being made okay i actually want to i want to read this because the sun (laughs) published um okay so the sun published a correction and apology afterwards and my favorite thing about this is that the Ottawa Senators tweeted a picture of the newspaper. Like, they didn't scan it. They, like, took a picture with oh, flash it was, on. It was a picture that somebody else had taken and put on Twitter. Like, it wasn't their picture. Oh, no. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's really funny. <laughs> okay. But they here's, like... They over it. <laughs> here is a part that I thought was really funny. So, the June 8th column... This is the correction and apology that was published in the Ottawa Sun. The June 8th column referred to information in a Canada Revenue Agency filing that indicated the Organ Project, a private foundation started by Eugene Melnick, donated $5,000 to the Kidney Foundation in 2018. However, the Organ Project has told the Sun that its core mandate was not to distribute money to other charities, but to spend money it raised on activities aimed at promoting organ awareness and registration. Um, <laughs> so they raised money so that they could spend money <laughs> so that they could spend money on 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 what I'm assuming their contract with the senators probably so Eugene's foundation raised money so that his foundation could do promotion which they did through the Ottawa senators so I'm assuming they paid the Ottawa senators <laughs> to do promotion which is Eugene's fucking team like I've never seen the Organ Project do any other promotion except for with the Ottawa Senators exactly (laughs) we needed to raise a lot of money so that Eugene Melnick could pay himself it's like it's like if I if I said to you Oh my god, Beata, I need money so that I can raise awareness for dope barbecues. <laughs> and you were like, oh my god, okay, I'm gonna send you this money. If everybody was like, okay, we're gonna send Poppy this money and she's gonna raise awareness for dope barbecues. And everybody was like, oh, I'm sure this money is gonna go towards several dope barbecues around the city. And instead, I used all that money to throw a party in my backyard and was like, look at this dope barbecue. You know what I mean? Even in your backyard, in my backyard. You <laughs> to my house. You were like, I'm gonna pay you. For the and then, when I went, when I went, when I had my dope barbecue party, I also charged people to attend my dope barbecue party. It's <laughs> It's so incredible. I have to point out here that I do not, I am not educated in the nuances of 
how charitable organizations work, clearly. <laughs> but this is what it reads like. <laughs> I want somebody with more of a good accounting brain to look into this for me, please. Because if you have a good accounting break and you, a brain and you know what's going on, email us. The Somali can life at gmail.com. <laughs> I would love to know. <laughs> anyway, that was really funny to me. The fact that they were like, yes, okay, so we only donated $5,000. But that's because we weren't <laughs> supposed to donate anyway. <laughs> Your money was supposed to go to us making videos. <laughs> Hate that shit. This is why you can't trust, yeah. can't trust awareness shit. Don't trust it. <laughs> okay. I'm done roasting Eugene for this. <laughs> okay. Anyways, um, we have come to the end of this podcast, and now it is time to award Big Rig Energy. Mm-hmm. Big Rig Energy of the week goes to JT Brown. Um, Obviously. Duh. We've talked about him a lot today. Um, cool dude. Very politically active. Not only invested a lot of money into um, bailing out protesters right now, but also actually has marched in Minnesota and has been joining protests and has also been trying to raise awareness for racial inequality for a really long time. So props to JT Brown. He's cool. Mm-hmm. He's amazing. Um, and I hope we continue to see more of him. And I hope that the NHL isn't going to be a jerk to him once all of this blows over. Yeah, let's hope. Um, so on that note, because the NHL is evil and I, it's making my brain hurt. Um, <laughs> thank you for listening to The Simonican Life. I, I'm sorry. The Simonican Life is such a funny title right now, specifically <laughs> after roasting Eugene. Um, I also want to briefly make a quick plug. Um, which is that the title This Amalnican Life was invented by a dear friend, Mike Wheeler. Mm-hmm. And Mike and his wife, uh, Leah Day, who I love very much, have started a podcast called Baby Quest, which yes. is really amazing. And they're talking about not just sort of the complications and um, the weird, windy, long road to trying to get pregnant but they've also very honestly and very kindly shared their experience with uh child loss so Mm -hmm. i think anybody who's interested in i guess birth in general but also like (laughs) um sort of like fertility in i think if you're somebody who's interested in kind of like health and the Mm -hmm. healthcare system this can be really insightful so Thanks, Mike, for the title, and also listen mm-hmm. to Baby Quest. We love you, Mike. We do. And Leah. And Leah. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Somalnik in Life. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at CoolCatMum, Mum with a U. And I am C-B-E-A-T-A-E, so C-B-E-A-T-A-E. Or you can email us at thisamalnikinlife.com. And the music this week was Pearls and Champagne by Instaligion. It is my own band. I'm plugging us. <laughs> you can't do anything about it, except if you are a musician and you would like to hear your music on this show, please email us at thisamalikanlife at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter. I will make it happen. Anyway, 
you can find Unsilogen, again, my cool band, <laughs> on Spotify, on Apple Music, and at instaligion.bandcamp.com. That's I-N-S-T-A-L-I-G-I-O-N. Our logo is by Lena Novi and Angus Fitzgerald Clark. For bonus content, please find us at patreon.com slash Life. You can subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts, and of course, you can rate us and review us on iTunes. Cool. I think we're done. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Right, bye. Fresh berries and cherries Some